Okay. Hello, my name is Aoife Smith, and I will be having a conversation with Caden Betzig for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York City Public Library's Community Oral History Project. It is an oral history project centered on the experience of trans-identifying people. It is June 12, 2019, and this is being recorded at the New York Public Library Mid-Manhattan Branch. Okay, so to start out, um, can you tell me a bit about where you were born and grew up? Um, so I was actually born in Washington, D.C., a fact that I usually forget because um, my parents, uh, when I was born, uh, my mom was living in Maryland. Um, and then when I was about three, uh, they moved to Michigan. Um, and that's where I grew up. So I was in Michigan until when I was three until I was 17. And what was it like growing up there? Um, it sucked. No offense to people who like the state of Michigan. Um, but I was not a fan um, it was especially hard being a queer kid um, growing up there. There just wasn't a lot of queer representation um, going on. And I joke sometimes that when I was like 14, I like didn't know that queerness and depression like weren't the same thing. Um, and um, it wasn't until my like sophomore and junior years of high school that I like I had um, a teacher who like was a gay man and was like open about it. Um, and it was like, so it's challenging in those ways. Um, I also have a difficult and complicated relationship um, with my mom in particular, um, which also made growing up in Michigan not so fun. So for a very long time, my like primary goal was to get out of there as soon as humanly possible was late high school is that when you realized like first kind of noticed your own queerness or do you have early memories of that um so it was never it was just i i can't really remember when i first um recognized it um especially as like a pansexual trans person it like gets it's differently complicated um, I think, um, and where, where I grew up, um, it was sort of, it's definitely considered acceptable, um, for girls as I thought I was and the world thought I was, um, to be attracted to other girls. Um, but I was also kind of attracted to boys at the same time. Um, so I definitely remember like in middle school, like just being attracted to like various humans, um, and yeah, and I think I like offhandedly outed myself as bisexual to my dad at some point, probably in like eighth grade. And he had a very sort of like nonchalant um, response to it. Um, yeah, I forgot what the question was. Uh, yeah, I think I asked about when yeah, you first yeah. realized your queerness. Um, so you just said your dad was pretty like nonchalant about it. What yeah. about your mom and other siblings, other yeah. family members? Um, so everyone was always fine with me dating girls. Um, and 
people became much less fine um, years later after I left Michigan when I came out as trans. Um, that was a problem. When did you leave Michigan? You said, when did you leave Michigan? I was 17, 17. when I moved out of Michigan, yep. Was that for college? Um, so I actually um, ended up graduating high school early, um, and it wasn't because I was just like trying to get out as soon as possible, um, and it wasn't, so basically my mom was trying to not let me graduate high school early. I was um, classified as a, as a special ed kid, so my mom had to sign off on it. So it looked like it just wasn't going to happen um, until my history teacher, who I mentioned earlier, um, and my special ed teacher, who are both like amazing human beings, um, sat my mom down at my IEP meeting and were just like, we don't have any classes left for her to take. <laughs> like, you have to let her graduate. Um, so sort of like... Um, bullied my mom a little bit into signing off on a form um, to let me graduate. And this meeting happened in like April and I graduated in May. Um, so it was very like, what am I going to do with my life um, for the next year? Um, and at that point in time, I was um, volunteering and sort of working at a local community arts center. Um, and a friend of somebody else who worked there um, came by one day and mentioned that he was doing this program called City Year. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. Like, tell me more about that. Um, and it's an AmeriCorps program where you work as a teaching assistant. Um, and I, like, knew then that I was, like, interested in teaching and, like, really liked working with kids. And that was what I was doing um, at the Community Arts Center. And so I was like, oh, that sounds cool. Um, and so at this point, my dad was living outside of D.C. again. Um, and so I applied to City Air in DC and I got in um, and I went and I did that for a year. Um, and then I came to New York for college the year after that. And where did you go to college? I went to NYU. Very stereotypical. <laughs> I was like, um, it was like, there was, there's definitely a lot of queer representation in the DC area. I was less involved with that for a lot of different reasons then. Um, but I was very like, it's like, I've heard that there are other gay people in New York, so I'm going to go there. Um, yeah, and that's sort of how I ended up here. Um, is New York where you kind of were introduced or not introduced, but more realized your transness? Or? Um, so it sort of happened when I was in, It well, it did happen like when I was in D.C. and I was like out as trans by the time that I got to New York. Um, and I'm still, I'm still not really sure how it happened. Um, I think um, it was probably a part of having to, like, be in a new place um, and, like, realizing that, like, though that, like, helped a lot of things, there were still a lot of other things um, going on. I remember, like, doing a lot of, like, Googling about transness out of, like, curiosity, <laughs> um, <laughs> which from other folks I've talked to seems to be, like, a pretty common experience. Um, and then um, I remember, like, coming up with, like, lists to, like, convince myself that I wasn't trans or, like, um, why, um, why I didn't want to be trans. Um, and I don't exactly remember, like, when it was um, that I, like, I very briefly for, like, a couple of months um, identified as, like, genderqueer. Um, and I came out to... Um, someone who I often call my foster dad. He was one of the teachers at my community arts center and he like took a lot of the like parenting role of me 
um, in my last couple of years of high school. Um, I ended up staying with him the summer before I came to New York. So I was like, if I'm going to live with him, I have to like, whatever. Um, and he was very chill with that. And I think it was like somewhere over the course of that summer that I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm not sure that like this is even the thing. Um, and so I sort of like come out to myself by the time, by like that August, September when I moved to New York. Um, so did, so if you came out to yourself, like when you're moving to New York, did you start transitioning soon after or? Um, yeah, so there was, there was more, uh, drama and things there. Um, I definitely, um, wanted to one of my my last lists were like all of the reasons why i'm not gonna start tea um and then i eventually um like realized that like um for me a lot of the things on that list um was at that point in my life i really wanted to have kids um which is like not necessarily impossible to like even like bear my own children at this point in time but gets definitely more complicated um and i decided that that wasn't a good reason to like wait in my transition for like years and years and years, um, like wanting to like put that stress on a child or whatever. Um, that was my sort of my final strong decision. And so I definitely wanted to transition like ASAP. Um, and so really soon after getting to New York, um, I found Callum Lord's um, Health Outreach to Teens program, um, which is amazing and I highly recommend to all humans um and so that november um i came out to my parents as trans um and at that point in time um, my mom and i weren't very close um but i was incredibly privileged to, like have parents who saved up a lot of money for me to be able to go to college um and so my mom was paying my tuition um from that college fund and said that she would not anymore if I transitioned um and so that was a battle for about the next um year and a half I like did a lot of thinking um thought about waiting tried to convince her for a while um actually got everything ready to go to transfer to Hunter um like had like registered for classes like that level of everything to go um and then I pulled sort of a Hail Mary pass of telling my grandmother that I was going to like trans my grandmother. I love her a lot. Um, she also has a lot of um, cultural elitism from just um, the upbringing that she had um, that really values private institutions. Um, and so I told her that I was going to transfer from NYU, a prestigious private school, to Hunter, which is a city university. And she was like, my grandchild is not doing that. Um, and so I think sort of like bullied my mom into um, giving me control over my college fund, which meant that I got to stay at NYU. Um, and so this was all that happened in May of my sophomore year. Um, I'd started T in January of my sophomore year. Um, because in either earlier in January or in December, um, my mom had actually come to New York, um, and I sat her down with some of my providers at Cal Mord and like tried to like convince her that this was an okay thing to do. Um, and all the folks there were like, great. I, I distinctly remember it was like the first time having a conversation like with an adult who like, like 
use my correct pronouns and like back me up to my mom and like cut her off at one point in time when she was like being ridiculous about whatever. Um, and all of that felt great, um, but we weren't successful in convincing her at that point in time. So definitely feel really like grateful and privileged. Um, but I was able to continue my education um, and like move forward with my career because I know like not everybody has those opportunities. Was your grandmother aware that you were going to be transitioning? Was that something that, like, she was just like, okay, I, that doesn't matter. I want you to, well, not that doesn't matter, but yeah. I want you to stay at this private institution. Yeah, um, vaguely, um, she, um, so my grandmother is Bengali um, and is a very devout Hindu. Um, and there have always been, like, she's been a part of my life ever since I was born. Um and but there have always been both language and cultural divides between us um like her english is pretty good and my bengali is okay um but there's a lot of subtle there's a lot of subtext um that for both language and cultural reasons we like struggle to communicate um she sent me when she convinced my mom um, she sent me an email which for grandma is like what <laughs> um that was like incredibly offensive um not so much around like gender issues a little bit around that but like other mental health things and whatever and like it was just like it was this whole montage about basically why i'm a horrible human being um and like broken and need all of this help and ended with but you can stay in school if blah 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 um and so i think she's never like my transness has always been really difficult for her to comprehend um and Hinduism, especially in the Hinduism that my grandma practices, there's this big concept of Maya, which is about um, all of the like things of this world being like immaterial and like focusing on like abstract things of a higher spiritual plane. Um, it's a lot of like like physical deniability, which comes to like body denying. Um, so for her, I think it's just she's always struggled to like comprehend it. She's like it doesn't mean anything like obviously because like my line has always been like i'm just me i've always been me this is like changing various external circumstances that like make it easier for me to like exist and interact with the rest of the world and she's always been like well that just doesn't matter you're just you and i'm like yes but no at the same time um and so um a couple of years ago at this point she and i had a sort of conversation where she was like, she's like, I love you as my grandchild, no matter what, but like, don't ask me to understand. And like, don't ask me to call you a different name. And I was like, okay, like that seemed like a reasonable compromise to make. Um, especially as I said, given like various like communication, um, divides that we've had. And my mom has also, um, moved a long way. Like she's fine with it at this point in time. Um, I think just sort of like through attrition, um, I think that for them, realizing that what I had said all along was true, that I was just the same person. And I think especially as parents who have seen us in all sorts of like physical stages from, you know, newborns on up, um, it's in some ways, like, I think easier for them to just sort of ignore things that they want to ignore, like a beard and whatever and be like oh right you clearly still act like the same human that i've always had uh, was religion something that played into the feelings of your mom or your dad um during the rest of your family or um, that was your grandma 
So it's um, a lot. It's definitely very strong um, with my grandma. My mother um, is also religious. Um, her religious practice is a bit different than my grandmother's. Um, my grandfather actually worked for the UN. Um, so um, my mom is 100% ethnically Bengali, was actually born in Kenya um, and like grew up traveling all around the world. Um, and that experience has given her a very like sort multi, I don't know what how to finish that word, <laughs> um, attitude towards a lot of things, um, religion in particular. She has a very like, one god by various names aspect to it um her altar at home has like a jesus and a buddha and baby krishna and some other things on it um and so i think that um for her in many ways um the religion was less of an aspect it's again complicated because um eastern religions are really philosophical i was about to say it was like more philosophical but like that the, the divide between those things isn't um, as strong. Um, my dad is not religious at all. Um, he's a pretty hardcore atheist. Um, so that wasn't a factor for him, um, really. What about your relationship to religion? Um, so my relationship to religion sort of ended in, um, or ended for a long time in early adolescence. Um, so, uh, Queerness is not an accepted part of modern day Hinduism at all, period, of any variety. Um, and I had questioned um, the spiritual practice that I was brought up. I was raised mostly by my mom and my grandma, and so I was definitely raised Hindu, and like we went to temple every, and everything. Um, and sort of as soon as I realized I like girls, that was the very end of, um, was the end of like, is sort of the last straw um, in my relationship with that. I also, um, interracial marriages or interracial relationships are also not very accepted in Hinduism. Um, so I'd always felt outcast from that community as much as my grandmother and mother worked to include me um, because I was the only mixed kid in our temple. Um, and I now, um, but especially as a child, um, was very fair and was white passing and it was just like very clear to me um from like elementary school days that like I was different um and less accepted um I think that had a lot to do with like feeling alienated um not agreeing with a lot of the philosophy as I got older I had to do with it um and then queerness was sort of the last straw um I've in the last um few years actually um reconnected with my spirituality a lot um and now more or less consider myself a buddhist um which my mother and grandmother take as a win because they're like that's just hinduism by a different name um which is is an opinion that like i strongly disagree with um i also definitely do still consider myself um an atheist um but i don't think that buddhism and atheism are mutually exclusive at all um so back to when you were at nyu um I think I read somewhere that you did some, you did some like activism work. Yeah. Can you tell me about that? Yeah. Um, so when I was at NYU, um, I was really heavily involved in a student organization called the Student Labor Action Movement. Um, and we did a lot of things, um, and the organization is still around. Um, a lot of my work was around issues of student debt. 
Um, we ran a campaign for the years that I was there trying to get NYU to freeze tuition and reinvest in financial aid. Um, this was when the 2031 plan was still a plan. Now it's gone through at this point in time, which was a big real estate buy that NYU did. Um, and so a lot of our campaign was about taking all that money that was going to be invested in further gentrification and instead turning around and investing it in financial aid. Um, we didn't win that campaign, um, but during that time, our organization ran some a few other effective campaigns. We um, eventually got NYU before, before it was statewide $15 an hour minimum wage. Um, we got um, NYU to raise the work-study wage to $15 an hour, um, and the other branch um, of our organization um, did a lot of work with United Students Against Sweatshops around sweatshop labor and ran some effective campaigns in that area of work. Um, has like, so obviously you're very engaged in politics in college and how's that transition mm -hmm. to more, I know you're really engaged in like union work now, how's yeah. that transition like? Um, so, um, after NYU, um, I immediately started teaching. Um, in my first year of teaching, um, I was really heavily involved in more the movement of rank-and-file educators, which is the social justice caucus or sort of party inside the United Federation of Teachers, which is the local teachers union for New York City. Um, and I was very heavily involved in my first year of teaching. Um, and since then, have like still been involved, but more on the periphery, um, really devoting myself to my teaching practice. And I see that like, that's where my political work happens. Um, I teach math, but I incorporate a lot of social justice elements into my math curriculum itself. Um, my kids like build solar cookers and they like prove that global warming is happening in New York City. And they like write letters to President Trump trying to convince him that global warming is real. Um, and I think just like, so those are some specifics, but just like in interacting with young people um, and trying to like get them to be politically aware and then squeezing all of the like activism into all of the cracks we possibly can in like small, big ways. Um, so an example of that is... Um, I, this is my second year at my current school, um, and so my advisory, I had them as freshmen and I have them now as sophomores, um, and our school has a policy, or had a policy, um, that when they move to 11th grade that they switch to a different advisory, that all the kids get all mixed up. Um, our advisory has become like a really close community, and they were like, we don't want to go be with other people for 11th grade. We like each other, and we're like a community, and we want to stay together as a community. And I was like, I was like well, you guys can like fight to make that happen. Um, and so I supported them through um, leading a petition campaign. Basically, they ran a campaign to get to stay together for advisory, um, which ended up being successful. Um, that's what's going to happen. Um, and it was just really, it's like definitely one of my favorite moments of this year, if not of my teaching career in general, to like sit around with a room full of like black and brown young people and have conversations about like, making demands and like how nice do you be and like how like who are your allies um and all of the all the things about running grassroots campaigns that i learned and sure it's not necessarily like world changing that our school is not going to make kids move to a different advisory for 11th grade but i think that um teaching kids that they have the power to make changes like that especially teaching poor black and brown kids 
that they have the power to make changes like that is revolutionary. But so how did you decide you wanted to be a teacher? Um, so I've known that I wanted to be a teacher um, kind of forever, um, like ever since I was little. Um, it sort of crystallized um, when I was in high school and especially um, when I was in city year. Um, it's because with some of the, a lot of the challenges that I had growing up, um, teachers were often the most supportive adults in my life. Um, and also with the like lack of queer representation that I experienced growing up, I wanted to pay those forward to the universe. Um, and that was a large part of my decision. So like being a trans educator. It's fascinating. Um, so I was um, stealth pretty much um, like in my in my first two years of teaching. Um, there's I'm trying to figure out how much context is necessary to answer that question in a way that will make sense. Um, so I've switched schools around a couple of times. I'm in my fourth year teaching right now. Um, my first year was at a school in an all boys school in Brownsville. Um, my second year was at um, a school on the Lower East Side. Um, and now I'm at a third school. Um, and so at those first two schools, um, I was pretty much stealth. Um, I didn't out myself to anybody, really. Um, and that didn't necessarily feel incredibly disingenuous, um, but also wasn't repping the like representation pieces that I wanted to. Um, in the first school that I worked at, um, the environment from staff and students was incredibly homophobic kids would chase each other around the hallway, calling each other faggots. Um, and one thing that always stands out to me um, is we had a few kids, um, one in particular who was just like, just really femme. Um, and there was one day he like brushed against one of our school aides in the hallway, like accidentally, you know, just like kids just, you know, bodies are changing and like whatever. Um, and said school aid like freaked out. Um, and like in, in a way that just didn't seem appropriate in the situation or would have been the reaction if it wasn't like this very femme little boy. Um, and yeah, and, and, and so like the homophobic environment there was one of the reasons um, why I chose to leave that school. Um, and then in the second school that I was at um, wasn't a good fit for a lot of reasons that don't have anything to do with queerness. I mean, I wasn't really ever an integrated part of that community there, and so just sort of like didn't make a lot of sense. Um, one of the reasons why I was excited to come to the school that I'm at right now um, is when I went to interview um, and hang out at the school for the day, I mean, it was just clear looking around that like we had a fair number of trans kids, and I was like, that's exciting. Um, and the assistant principal, who was my primary contact when I was interviewing, I sort of like, I don't remember exactly how, but slipped it into conversation somehow that like, this is a thing that I've noticed. Um, and she talked a lot about how they're like trying to change the locker room policy. Um, and like, they've like made sure there are trash cans in every bathroom. Um, and like, and she just seemed really like on top of her game and was like really trying to make a supportive environment for these kids. Um, 
And so I sort of like made a spur of the moment decision to out myself to her in a in context that sort of made sense at that time, um, which then um, and also made the decision somewhat simultaneously to like out myself to the staff. Um, if you ask me on most days at this point in time, I'll say that was a mistake. Um, there at this point, that administrator who I had a close relationship with, she's left the school. Um, and there have been like nothing ever like explicit that even if I had a recorder, I could like show to anybody and be like, this is evidence of discrimination. Um, but there have been enough small, subtle things that have happened over the last um, two years that make it clear that like that, that like discrimination against me for being trans, even if it is mild, is happening. Um, I, there's actually another trans teacher at my school, which is really cool. Um, and it's something she and I talk about a lot. Um, and both of us recognize that we're in some ways privileged to like have jobs, period. Um, let alone like jobs in our chosen field. Um, but we always turn that conversation around and be like, that's, yes, yeah, something we should be thankful for, but that's also something that we want for everybody. Um, and she actually, from some of the previous schools that she works has worked at, um, has a case going with the EOC right now against the Department of Education. Um, but yeah, so there's nothing like that's, you know, there's not like blatant transphobia happening um, at my school. Um, and there's very little transphobia of any degree coming from students. Like kids are great. Um, and it's like some kids are like being a dick one day because they're just teenagers and that's what they do. Um, but it's never really, um, it doesn't feel nearly as like ingrained in the culture um, as it did at my first school. And then like there are kids who like say insensitive stuff, but because they're like kids, they have questions. Um, and that's something I'm like generally open to. Like if you don't know how to phrase your question right, like say it in the words that you know and we'll work on that. Um, but yeah, there was a meeting that I had last year um, with the principal one of the assistant principals, the guidance counselor, and the dean. So it was like very like, um, that was all about how they can support me in my identity. And like the assistant principal literally basically took a transcript of the meeting in, in notes, um, which I've since showed to like a lot of people, um, my union chapter leader and other people, and just been like, what was this meeting about? Um, and no one knows. I don't know when I was in the meeting. The other people in the meeting who I've talked to since don't really know. No one who I've shown the transcript to has given me the same answer. So it seems like it was very, and that's that's the the most key um, thing that I can think of in what I'm saying about like subtle, subtle things that you can't really stick your finger on, but enough of them make a pattern where you're like, this is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have you had any interactions with trans students at the school? Um, relationships with them? Yeah, um, so I have a couple in um, in my class this year, um, which has been really nice. Um, I, like, in some ways wish that um, I had, like, great stories to tell of, like, intimate hearts-to-hearts that we've had, um, but it's been um, much more, like, low-key um, than that. One of the students who actually isn't, one of the transcripts who isn't in my class um, was, like, 
just like uh, our kids are allowed to go out to lunch um, and I was like out in the park at lunch um, and this kid he like walked by with some of his friends um, and he was like I think that I'm bleeding like clearly freaking out in a particular type of way and I like said to him I was like I was like let me know if you want me to like go inside and like get you stuff from the nurse um, and he was like he was like I think I'm good but thank you um, and then one of my other kids um, earlier this year um was just like like came into my room like in the morning and it was just like was just like i've got a consult for top surgery and i was like awesome and then he just like ran out um so it's like no like i can't think of any like long drawn out things um but a lot of like you know small small big things um like that um and i just it's been important to me to like have those kids around um and like normalize them and like you know when other teachers um never maliciously or intentionally, but, like, accidentally, like, send out the wrong name in an email or whatever, like, reply and be, like, actually this. Um, but, yes, it's been, like, nice to be, like, a part of that community, um, and especially on moments where I, like, question um, or regret being out at school. Um, I think that, like, being able to have that role of representation, like, definitely, like, makes it worth it. Um, on community, what other have you had other um, important trans or queer communities in your life? Um, yeah, so once I started getting involved in politics at NYU, um, I developed a pretty close friend group um, of everybody, like all of us that were working together. Um, and we've stayed close in the like six, seven years that it's been um, since then, some more than others. Um, Many of us were out as queer then and still are. A fair number of folks are now out as trans who weren't back then. Um, and I'd say like they're my queer community and also my political community and those two things um, for me as at NYU like really dovetailed um, together. And what about when you're back in Michigan? Um... No, in a word. Well, I guess in so, I was about to say no, and then I think the the there's a a yes as well. Um, so my my high school girlfriend and I were like, like she's queer, um, and she and I were very very close. Um, we were like best friends and everything. Um, so her definitely, um, and there's a lot of subtle queerness that goes around I think anywhere where like open queerness is like is less accepted um including in people who like don't necessarily recognize it in themselves um like my foster dad who I mentioned earlier um was not necessarily like flamboyantly femme um but for his whole life like most of his friends were women um or at least people assigned female at birth um and he like he and I had a conversation a couple of times where he realized that like he'd be in spaces that were like all women and him and like conversations would come up that he think wouldn't necessarily have happened with like other men in the room about like, you know, like childbearing and like and other things that like aren't necessarily that are usually talked about in like in women only spaces. Um, and I wonder if he had been born, if he had been born into my life um, or my current life in New York, I think he would have not identified as a cis man. Um, but of course, we can never, like, know those things. Um, and 
I think the same. Um, uh, my mom has like admitted to like having like queer feelings like in college or experimenting or whatever things that we say. <laughs> um, and and I think that like um, from what I know of my mother that like that was possibly something that like she suppressed in herself, which like wouldn't have happened again if like her historical circumstances were different. Um, so Currently, do you have any, like, other, I mean, you said you have that little community in school, yeah. but do you have any other um, queer trans communities that you're part of? Um, yeah. yeah, so, um, as I said, um, my friend group um, from college were, mm-hmm. for the most part, all still close. Um, and so that's definitely, I'd say, my queer community um, now. There are, I was actually just thinking about this a couple of months ago, that there are almost no, more or less no trans men um, in my close community now, which is like not a thing, which is a new thing. Um, in the last like couple of years, I'm just like, as people like move and relationships change. Um, and that's something that like, I think makes me a little bit sad. I'm like, it's something that I miss. Um, but, um, like I said, one of my colleagues is a trans woman. Um, and one of my best friends is a trans woman. Um, and almost all of my closest friends are queer of some variety or um, are there other queer tr- or trans members of the union that? Um, so there certainly are. Um, there, as I've mentioned, my um, one colleague at school, um, there's actually a new uh, network called the Trans Educators Network, um, which is nationwide and I think like in Canada as well. Um, and it's something I've been only really peripherally involved with, um, I've been really busy with being in grad school and teaching. Um, and everything else in my life. Um, but so it's like, so I haven't been able to like go to the New York meetups, but it's clear that there are other folks. Um, and there definitely are lots of like out, um, queer and not necessarily trans teachers, um, in New York city. Um, in every school, except the first one that I've worked in, there have been out queer teachers. Um, and I think it's, it's really great that that representation piece sort of is happening and has become more or less commonplace at this time. I've like worked under queer administrators and it's like very, um, in terms of like cis women being married to cis women and cis men being married to cis men, like that's very accepted um, in the DOE at this point in time. Um, I think other forms of queerness and queer relationships possibly less so. noticed with your involvement in the union as you spoke a lot about being a young teacher and an on-tenured teacher yeah can you say more on that um yeah so um our i'm really glad that we have a union um and i am unapologetically pro-union um one of the reasons why i'm more formed and is active is because we think that the way the union runs itself um is problematic in a lot of ways. It's very undemocratic um, and it just doesn't do a great job of supporting teachers um, a lot of the time, especially new and untenured teachers. Um, The union's line is sort of, we can support you once you have tenure, but until then you're sort of on your own. And when you compound that with the fact that um, a few years ago, a few contracts ago, they changed the tenure rules. So it used to be once you've been teaching for three years, you automatically have tenure. 
Um, and now the rule is that once you've been teaching for four years, you can apply for tenure, um, but they can approve you or not. Um, and so people get denied tenure and extended all the time. I actually myself got my what's called probationary period, which means being untenured, extended until next year. Um, and so especially because young and untenured teachers make up 40% of the union, um, I really believe and I think one of the things that more needs to be fighting for is for the UFT to do a better job of representing the interests of young and untenured teachers, um, especially because we're not only a large part of the union as a whole, um, but we're you know, the up and coming folks, um, and especially in this era of Janice and things, um, the union is only going to continue to be a viable institution if it really believes in supporting all of its members, um, which means that the contract has to be enforceable for all teachers, regardless of whether or not they have tenure. Um, you ran for a leadership position yes. at some point. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so I ran um, for the executive board of the UFT. Um, so the executive board is a large body um, that of teachers. That's like one of the various um, institutions of the union. Um, I ran on Moore's slate. Um, our campaign... Um, this year was really focused, uh, was our, we intentionally ran a campaign that we knew we weren't going to win um, because our goal wasn't to win seats. Our goal was to like build the momentum of the institution and get people like having conversations about what a union that better represents us could look like and would do um, and to build the rank and file. Um, and so, so I ran, um, but it was very much of a like, we need, the executive board is very large, I forget how big, but it's like 50, if not more seats. Um, so it was just like, we need people's names to like run so we can like go have, do what's more important than like filling bureaucratic seats, which is like having conversations with the union, which actually means with actual teachers um, about what their working conditions are like, what their students' learning conditions are like. Um, and how we can band together to better support each other and better serve our students and our communities. Has been hard effectively doing that, reaching out and contacting different like teachers all over and sharing like the message. And like, has I know I found a lot of stuff online. Has yeah, like online materials been a big part of that? Um, so online materials have been a big part of that. Um, one of the things more does really well um, is our, is we have like pretty regular happy hours. Um, teachers love happy hour. Um, and it's a, it's a great combination of being able to like meet up with people, get that community piece, vent about things, and also like think about how we can do something about them. Um, those have been some of our primary tools. It's been challenging for me recently um, because I'm trying to get tenure um, and I've realized and I've gotten sort of advice from some folks and more about that like being really active in the union is not a great way to go about making that happen so trying to play the long game for myself um, and I was actually personally not super involved um, in this most recent campaign because I'm really like trying to like lay low um, but when I have tenure, um, one of the things that I definitely plan to do um, is from that position of more security, 
fight for this not being a thing anymore. Um, that we have to, especially now that tenure isn't like a guaranteed at time X. Um, it's just this more nebulous thing that we need. We need to fight for a better tenure system. Um, and as importantly, if not more importantly, we need to fight for the contract to be enforceable for all teachers, regardless of whether or not you have tenure. I was just having a conversation um, with one of my closest friends yesterday, who is also a young and untenured teacher, um, who teaches 30 periods a week. And the contract clearly says you can't do more than 25. Um, and she's like, and five of those periods are advisory, which supposedly doesn't count, but it's 25 kids and they get credit for it. So it's a class. It does count. It's a really blatant contract violation. Um, and I was trying to like convince her to stand up for herself. Um, and she was like waffly about it. Um, but it can't be like the reason why the union exists is because the way that we have power is an individual standing up for themselves. When individuals stand up for themselves, it's easy for the powers that be to play whack-a-mole. Um, like we need to collectively stand up for each other and we need, and the folks who are more secure need to do a better job of supporting the folks who are less secure. Um, so our union leadership is very secure. They need to do a better job of supporting all teachers, especially young and untenured teachers and tenured teachers involved in the union globally and also tenured teachers in their individual schools um, that need to stand up for um, enforcing the rights of untenured teachers. My friend yesterday, um, there's a chapter leader, a union representative in her school who does have tenure. And I was like, I was like don't talk to your principal about it. Like, tell your chapter leader, right? Like, I don't know why you even have to tell your chapter leader. Your chapter leader should just be doing this and like doesn't have to name your name, but just be like, I was looking at the schedules and I realized that it's probably not just her also, but these three teachers have more than 25 teaching periods and we need to do something about that. Um, and she said that like when she's spoken to her chapter leader before, her, they've been very like wishy-washy um, about being supportive because they themselves are friends with the principal. Um, which is a common situation. Um, so just the whole, uh, I think we need to fight for the whole system um, to do a better job of supporting teachers so we can support our kids and our communities. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you said you're in grad school currently? Yeah. How are yeah. you navigating teaching and grad school um, like, all at once? You just, you do what you got to do, you know? Um, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't necessarily have a better answer to it than that. Um, so I'm getting my master's degree um, through a hybrid program with George Mason, Mason University in um, curriculum and instruction. Um, it's a program specifically for people who are currently teaching. Um, so it's like geared, you know, to fit in our schedules and things. Um, it's, we take in-person classes and for a week in the summer and it's online the rest of the year it's part-time so it's only six credits at a time still a lot of work um so i just you know do what i can on top of that um i'm also in a relationship um, and i'm also an artist um and i also um have some little siblings um who are very being a part of their lives is very important to me but they live in california um so all of those things um take up a lot of time um, and a part of uh, being in grad school um, and being a part of my little sibling's life and like getting back into my art. Those are all things um, 
that are part of why I'm less involved with more and with the union actively um, than I was in my first year teaching. Um, that year was really challenging and some of the best advice that I got from veteran teachers was to make sure that I'm a whole person um, and that especially in teaching, which is a, a field where you're constantly like giving of yourself to make sure that I know who I am um, and that like I have an identity. Um, and so in taking that advice, um, like I got back involved with my art um, and like finally officially committed to my relationship instead of just it's like we've he's been my boyfriend for much, much longer than I've called him that. <laughs> Um, and has been a, a very kind and patient human being to just allow me to string him along for a while before I was ready to like name things for what they are. Um, and I've found that I'm able to be more present for my students when I'm like more whole in myself. So I definitely want to get more involved with the union in the future again. Um, and I plan to um, probably when I'm done with grad school. <laughs> and have a little bit more time in my life. Sounds busy. <laughs> Thank you yeah. for um, yeah. taking some of your time for this. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Um, what kind of art do you do? Um, so I'm a ceramic sculptor. Awesome. Um, yeah, which is a thing that I've been doing um, since, since high school. Um, my art teacher, who I mentioned, um, was a ceramic artist, um, and he had a studio which he allowed me to hang out at, which was an incredible experience to have as a 15-year-old. Um, and so it had been not really a part of my life um, after I moved out of Michigan um, until about two, about two years ago. Um, and I got back into it again, and it's been, it's been great. Yeah. Um, your little siblings, how old are they? Um, they are, how old are they now? They're nine and six and one. Yeah, yeah, they're little. Um, so since they're little, uh, little kids can be like funny about things and just like interact with the world in a different way. Yeah. How do they interact with your queerness and your transness? Um, so it's sad, actually, really. Um, I don't, I don't really know what to do about it. Um, so... My oldest little brother, um, the nine-year-old, um, he was about two or three when I transitioned. Um, and so when he was that age, um, he asked his grandmother, who lived with them, who lives with them, um, one day, like, it's like, is Caden a boy or a girl? And my step-grandma had what I think is a great response, which was she was like, what do you think? And he was like, I think Caden is a boy. Um, and she was like, I agree. Um, and I was like, I, when I heard that story from my stepmom, it warmed my heart. Um, but since then, he's, I think, forgotten that conversation um, happened, which makes sense because he was like two or three years old. Um, and I realized recently in a sort of roundabout way um, that both he and my six-year-old sister don't know that I'm trans. Um, which is just sort of interesting. Um, I don't, I've never like come out to them, but I also don't like make an effort to be stealth. Like I don't like bind in the house and whatever. Um, but I think what it is, um, is that like, even though they're so young, like cis normativity is just so real. They're like, normal people are cis and Caden is normal. Therefore, um, 
And they're also a little bit weird about um, about my boyfriend. Um, they're like a year or two ago, we were having conversations about like, well, you guys can't mar- get married because two boys can't get married, or like that's weird, or like um, yeah, or like um, and then things like they're like, but you guys definitely can't have kids, um, which like isn't. Like, in terms of all the many ways to have families isn't true. And also, even in terms of, like, the, like, traditional biological way of having family for us isn't necessarily true. Um, because he's a cis man and I still have all of my original reproductive parts. Um, and, yeah, and so I've been, like, um, both my dad and my stepmom... Um, at this point, like, are accepting of me and who I am, but in a very sort of, like, don't ask, don't tell kind of way. Um, so, like, I can't really talk to them about how to talk to my little siblings. Um, and even the, like, awkward times it's come up, I don't think I've handled it very well. Um, but also because there's been a lot of, and there's a part of me that I'm like, you're an educator, you can do this. Um, but when it's, like, my like I just have so much skin in that game that it makes it sort of hard um so yeah so I'm not really sure how to navigate and you know all that and then the one-year-old she's one so she's not (laughs) she's not aware yeah she's not really there yet she's like she's trying to get the walking thing down like that's 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 where she's at yeah Then do you think you'll stay in New York for like, um, long time? Yeah, I love New York. Um, I want to stay. Um, my boyfriend, who's not too much of a big fan of the city, um, so that's he's still in law school right now. So us leaving the city is definitely at least you know four years down the road at minimum. Um, and but that's that's going to be a we'll figure out how to navigate that. But we, it's already it's already started to be like I want to stay and he doesn't. Um, <laughs> but we'll figure it out. What about the city it's a Um so it's sort of just like my whole life is here. Um like I um like I said had like a really challenging upbringing um and had like really really severe depression for basically my entire living memory. Um and being in DC for that year was great but I was going through a lot of stuff in terms of identity and also mental health stuff and other things like at that time. Um, so I really feel like I've found myself and like built my life and like grown into myself here, um, which involves like coming out um, and like finding like my like queer political community. Um, I didn't, I had individual close friends, but not really a community before that. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that that's probably the biggest reason why, like, I don't want to leave the city and I don't want to leave all of that. Um, even though I'd be taking at least my boyfriend's part with me um, elsewhere. And, yeah, and I just, um, I really enjoy um, working with the population of kids that I work with. Um, I still work on the Lower East Side. Um, almost all of my kids are first, second, or third generation immigrants. Um, and I'm a second and a half generation human myself. Um, most of them are also mixed of some way, shape, or form, um, as am I. And I found that like there's just like a lot of like 
bonding and commonality. Um, and and I've, I've worked with other populations, as I said, like in Brownsville and in Michigan um, and in D.C. And I just really, I really love working in District 2. Um, and I'm with immigrant kids on the Lower East Side, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to leave that. Um, and um, there are definitely ceramic studios around in the world. Um, so I'm sure that I would be able to find something. Um, but I also really like the studio that I'm at right now um, in, in Williamsburg. It's a really good group of people, um, and it's a really good setup in terms of the logistics um, for someone who's like, um, who knows their craft and is serious about it, um, but is also not like a full-time professional. Um, so I should really like have my life here um, and I've, I've built it in a way that like I feel like um, stable and supported and happy even sometimes um, in ways that I haven't experienced before. And not that I wouldn't be able to rebuild any or even all of those things, um, but I just don't feel any desire to go elsewhere. Put a lot of put a lot of work into making this be what I want it to be. Um, I know you just mentioned mental illness and depression, and much earlier you said that until you were at some point in your teenage years, you thought queer and depression meant the same thing. Yeah. So, do you feel like mental illness is something that has been like linked to? queerness and transness as well as other things or yeah um I think it took me um a really long time to sort of separate all of the things out from themselves um the things being like being a like intellectual existential person um being someone who like has clinical depression and like being a queer person uh, which are all different from each other and being someone who experienced trauma as a young person those are all different from each other, but they all sort of get like tied together um, into in daily experiences and hard um, hard to separate from each other. Um, so I've been um, for like basically since I got to New York, um, I've been doing a lot of um, work on my own mental health. Um, I've been great. I've been really privileged to have a really great therapist who I've been seeing on and off for that whole time. Um, started seeing her at Calamore top program um, back when I was like 17 or 18 whatever that was um, and I see her in her private practice now and I'm very lucky to like a big chunk of my paycheck every month but to like be in a situation um, where I'm able to to afford that and be able to afford that continuity um, and and with like her support um, and doing a lot of work on my own I've like been able to like recognize um, and learn how to like manage my depression and no longer have it be a like every moment of my day and that's been part of being able to like tell the difference um, between depression and intellectualism and queerness and all of the other things um, and that like because like sometimes it's just not there like I have good days now um, which makes it easier to tell like when all the days are bad days you can't tell you don't know what a bad day is. Um, so you kind of need to have some good days, um, which also helps um, helps make helps both exist in the bad days um, and also like try to like make the next day better because I'm able to like recognize when they exist and also recognize what different feels like. Um, 
And I think that was definitely um, a big sort of barrier to me combating my depression for a long time, which is like, I don't know what, I don't know what the alternative is or feels like or what it means to experience that. And now that I like have good days, um, I do have that sort of benchmark of what that feels like. That's great. Um, you just said that um, paying for therapy is a big part of your paycheck. Um, mm-hmm. So is health insurance, like, I don't know much about, like, how that works. Yeah. With, like, being a teacher out of public yeah, school, yeah. so is it... Um, yeah, so I, we do have, that's, like, one of the things um, that our union does well, okay. um, is that we have health insurance um, that is basically totally covered um, by, as, like, part of our contract and part of our compensation and benefits package. Um, so that's so like that's been great um and that is like every human should have that um just by being a human um (laughs) so um we do it's um the the provider that i see um now she's like she doesn't take insurance um and so i can't use my insurance to see her um there's like maybe some out of benefit now out of network benefits that I can work out and I was actually just yesterday trying to like pretend that I had a degree in medical coding to like fill out the forms to make that happen um and if it does that'll be awesome um but it's like prioritizing my mental health um has like it's taken me a long time to like get to that point in time um and I am definitely privileged to be able to make that a financial reality um it, even though it does like cut into other things but in ways that are uh, like good in a bit in that like being able to afford therapy means that i like eat out less which is also probably good for my mental health because like stress eating is a big um sort of thing in in my life um and like um paying for my art studio which is something that I'm also privileged to be able to do but it's also a big chunk um and that's been a really that's been one of the most empowering things um I found in in being an adult um and in like having my own um paychecks just like my way of supporting myself by like really thinking about um what my priorities and my budget are um because if I didn't do that, um, like all of the money that's going to things um, that, that I set aside for things that are like really good for me, like art and therapy would be going to alcohol and junk food and other like less, less good things for me. Um, and so I've personally found it like empowering to be able to like set that up for myself um while recognizing that like i'm privileged and i I have the situation um that we want for everybody to be have where i'm not where it's between like therapy and junk food not therapy and groceries um which i know some people are having to make those choices um which is totally messed up and not how the world should work is there anything else you'd like to add or discuss? Um, 
I guess I'd like to put in the shameless plug for my Instagram while we're talking about um, art. So you can follow me at Den Boy Sculpture. Awesome. All right. Thank you so much. Sure.